0: Alright folks, welcome everybody to the Mets News Podcast, it's about 9.22 at night. I'm so happy this week, I don't have to do any live recording, and I'll give you guys a little preview. Live recording is when I record something at 9 o'clock, and then it's up by 9.22, so that's a lot of editing to do. This week I don't have to do any editing, it's so beautiful! Uh you know but it, it is what it is we have Justin Pennick coming on after a brief uh talk meaning the audience and me then we have Pe- Justin Pennick who's always great i i like having Justin Pentagon uh you know he, you know it, it, it it's between him and the the draft expert you know and i when i have them on and i have a lot of great ge- guests on you know i've had Bobby Skinner on i've had Darren Mean on and Darren from the 7 line was a huge honor for me just being a diehard Met fan. So that, that should be number one for me. You know, you know, I've had the tank on, but when I have Justin on, it's like, you, you know, you're going to get an hour and a half of just great conversation. You're going to get some laughs and you're going to get the truth ultimately. And that's why when I had Bobby on, I had so much fun for the And, you know, it is what it is. I've had a lot of great guests, the entertainer, but, you know, 2021 and 2020 have been a wild year. We're coming up on the two-year anniversary of this podcast, three-year anniversary, excuse me, of this podcast being launched. There's been some ups. There's been a lot of downs. Uh, You know, I've had a lot of good people on from Coach Weber, you know, also, to Will, Will will be on soon to, from Gabe to Trent. You know, I've had a lot of people on and a lot of people come to mind. But it is my honor and privilege. And I will also say this on the three-year anniversary, by the way. We're coming, on, coming up on three years. My baby. We've grown. We're on Apple, Spotify. This is my baby. I've, I've grown it. And I'm very proud of it. I'm very proud of the listeners. You guys give me a lot of motivation. I do read your comments. Well, and by the way, I do have a lot of comments, questions from, from Mr. Penick, Justin Penick. Please follow the Twitter, at Mets News 5. It's greatly, at Mets News 6, excuse me, at Mets News 6. It's a picture of David Wright getting a little thing of champagne dumped on him. I took that picture down in Port St. Lucie. Uh, some artwork, fan artwork, which I really Truly enjoy it. And follow the Instagram at met- underscore Mets underscore news. Greatly appreciate it. I will have, I'm, I'm trying to plan something big for the three-year anniversary. I don't know what that is. Um, I'm trying to think of some things. I don't know what, I'll be honest with you, I don't know what this podcast, before we get to Conforto and Syndergaard and Free Agent, I will have a Mets post- well not postseason, I guess. Off season preview. I was hoping to do that with Will. If that if it doesn't happen by next week, you will get something. I, I am gonna pre record my episode for Thanksgiving, obviously, because um you know, I I have some family stuff I have to attend to. So there you go. But I don't know what this podcast is gonna be in the next three uh you know, my my contract with it, you know We'll have to see what happens at the podcast. But I'm not going anywhere. We you know, with especially with my coaching season coming, uh, where I coach my college team and I'm not going anywhere, so don't think I am. There's a lot of stuff. I have big things planned for the three years, and we're gonna have a great year. We're gonna have a great third year. We're gonna have a great Mets postseason run. We're gonna have it all. But that well, I'm gonna foot ahead of myself. I do wanna to take a look back at this podcast after You know, even though three years isn't a long time, but, you know, I didn't think this was going to go for three years. When I started this, if you would have told me, and 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 I'm going to probably repeat myself here on three-year anniversary, but this is the last thing I'm going to say. If you would have told me, I would have had Frank Tank from Barstool, uh, you know, Darren, the Entertainer, Justin Pennick, Bobby Skinner, Mets Rewind, I, I forgot about him, but he was great as well. Gave me a lot of good things. Uh, my coaches on, which, you know, and I'm going to tell you a little story, and I'll, and I'll tell it when the draft expert comes on. When I was pitching him when I was in high school, you, you, you got to do this. Before the pandemic, you, you got to come on my show. You, you got it. You're, 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 you're made for this. You're made for this. Uh, he said, I don't want to do it. I don't want to do it. That's not my thing. Getting him for interviews is so difficult. I remember, again, I I coached. So where I coached, you know, it gets a lot of attention if you get far. So when I obviously started this show, the interview that put this podcast on the map locally was the Coach Weber interview. That was huge. And up until very recently – Meaning when I had the tank on and I had Darren on and, you know, I had Justin on, you know, th- those, those obviously helped. But up until doing stuff with John Boy Media, that was my most ever listened to episode. I got s- 700, maybe 800 listeners. I have a lot more listeners now. The podcast is growing on Apple Anchor Spotify. I'm one of the top sports podcastings on Anchor. That is a fact. So the reason why I don't take sponsors is because you know I, I don't want to interrupt my I, I, I want to coach and I want to coach Division I baseball next year at Penn State, Maine. That's my goal. I, I want to coach up there. So I have if I take a sponsorship that's wrong, even though NCAA athletes are allowed to make money. That could jeopardize that. So I I just – I try to stay neutral and that's why if you're wondering how come I don't have any more sponsors than the one I have, it's because I don't want to take that chance. And I love – I don't want people also to listen to my podcast and think that – and again, I'm getting ahead of myself and I'm probably going to repeat myself when I have my episode come out during the holidays entitled The Three-Year Anniversary where I will have interviews. I'll probably have i'm I'm not going to get too far I'm trying to plan something I haven't thought about it, but I am trying to plan and hopefully it comes to to fruition, but maybe it won't but I always say I don't want people to pay for what I have to listen to my my thing is all about having fun, and that's been my whole philosophy of doing this. There hasn't been a lot of fun for the sport for the sports teams I root for, but you know that's why I do what I do but anyway, back to my story up until the coach the Coach Weber interview, my, my, my show was struggling. I didn't have any big listeners on. I had nothing. And you know, I, I had my friend Gabe on it's just like a test run because you know what? This podcast is very close to ending. Uh very, very close. And I you know, it was a struggle. But I, I had my friend Gabe on that was a boost and I texted my former coach a very good coach and coach whoever you've all heard him I said can you come on said yeah you know I I wasn't a part of his coaching staff I was moving on anyway the covid pandemic there was nothing <clears throat> that could happen that was going to be bad from this and you know he took my tough questions questions I don't even that People were wondering, and he answered them, and we had a great time, and he still comes on. I'm, I'm going to get him on in the winter. We are going to have another roundtable football discussion. I am going to make that my mission. I know the draft expert wants to do it. I know we're going to find a time where Coach Weber can do it because that's always my fun, where I could just sit back, ask the questions, and let them just go. And I'm also going to try to plan something. I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to try to do interviews where they could just be stored up So during the baseball season Like last year I did a lot of reposting Which I was not very happy with So I'm going to do I'm, My goal is during my winter break This is a little flash of the curtain Is I'm going to Do episodes that are pre-recorded That are just in the bank And I could do my 10 minutes of Met news, 20 minutes max Then have the interview and then boom Because I hate doing those 10 minute episodes They, You know what I mean? But anyway, I, I owe a lot to him, Coach Weber. And, I don't, you know, without him, this podcast probably doesn't exist. And without him, there's no entertainer. There's no, you know, Bobby Skinner. Bobby Skinner was first. And without Bobby Skinner, there's no entertainer. Without – there's no entertainer. There's no Justin Panic, which means there's no working in the relationship with John Boy Media, which they've been very nice to me getting these two there's no relationship working with the football side of John Boy Media, meaning Bobby and Justin, who are great people. And I, and I love having Justin on, and I can't wait for you guys to hear that interview. And you're probably saying, Ben, just shut up. Tell us your met thoughts on Comforto and Syndergaard, and then just shut up so we could hear the person we wanted to hear. But, you know, it all goes back to that interview. And this, so I, you know, it is what it is. I'm going to get into it with my three year anniversary episode, a little taste of it. But anyway. On to the Met news. Michael Conforto declined the qualifying offer. And my initial thoughts are, whatever. I'm, I'm perfectly fine with moving on from Michael Conforto and just ending it. I think that he's just not meant, he just never lived up to the expectations of what I expected him to be. That that is 100% true. And maybe my expectations, and I'll admit it, were a little, you know, a little much. I'll I'll admit it. Did Odell Beckham Jr.? I don't really care. I don't even know why I followed Odell Beckham Jr. I'm kind of... Anyway, let me unfollow him quick. Anyway, my expectations of Michael Conforto were so high because you got to remember, I grew up with mediocre as, as a Mets fan. We had terrible owners there in the past. But when Michael Conforto came up, I really thought that was our guy. As, as much as David Wright is the guy, organizational-wise, that he's the best position player the Mets ever came out with. I know people say it's Daryl Strawberry. To me, it's no contest. And I think it would be no contest if the Mets were able to somehow get that world champion, which they should have gotten the, won the 2015 World Series. But anyway, Michael Conforto never lived up to that expectations. And you could say if a bum shoulder injury that happened, it happened so weirdly. Let me take you back to 2017, August. They're playing the, the Diamondbacks. Could be off on the team. I don't know. I, it, it was either the Diamondbacks or the Texas Rangers. I'm pretty sure it was the Diamondbacks. Michael Conforto's up to bat. He takes a swing and he collapses to the ground. Actually, I think it is a text. Someone Google it. It's one of those teams. And Terry Collins comes rushing out. And I remember him. the hot mic picked up. Michael, what's wrong? You know, and you're thinking, oh, this isn't good. This is like awful. This is not what anyone expected and wanted. And, it, you know, the the instant thought was, this is depressing. This is not what this was supposed to be. And he gets the shoulder surgery. And when he comes back in 2018, a lot of people think he was rushed back. And at the time, remember, when he came back against the Washington Nationals, he hit that home run. He hit a moonshot. But I, I remember thinking, and I was just learning how to coach hitting-wise. Um, the hitting coach, in my opinion, at Parkland is Coach Bates. And he came up to me one day and he said, hey, hey, Benny. And I'm like, what's up, coach? Because he, he's a Mets fan too. He said, didn't Michael Conforto's swing look different to you? And I said, yeah, because if you remember, Michael Conforto used his shoulder a lot to swing, and that's why the injury happened. And I said, yeah. But it's like he doesn't have the – his upper swing is just not as confident – as it used to be, and he says, I'm kind of nervous they rushed him back. The shoulder might not be as strong. He's either going to re-injure the shoulder or he's just going to have a terrible year and Met fans are going to get on him. And I said, I never thought of it like that. And the naive thing is, is if it was any other player, I would say, yeah, they rushed him back. But because he was Michael Conforto and the homegrown talent that was going to compete with Aaron Judge, I, I thought that Michael Conforto was going to be that guy. I, I did. And he slumped. And he never really reached the expectations. That as Met fans. Maybe they were too high. Maybe we put him on this pedestal. Of he's supposed to be that guy. He's supposed to be our Aaron Judge. Maybe we put that on, on him too much. And it, you know the 2015 run to me. And the early part of 2016, Michael Conforto was one of the best players the Mets had. He faced Madison Bumgarner on a bummy, rain, rainy day at Citi Field. And ever since then, really, except 2017, he was never the same. If you look at his number, I always call them shell numbers because he hit the home runs most of the time. There were some times against Hector Neris in 2018, against Hector Neris in 2019, against, you know, a lot of, you know... Go on. Hector Nares is a free agent. I bet Gabe's happy about Hector. Hold on. I, I bet Gabe's happy about Hector Nares being a free agent. I, I bet he is. But anyway. Michael Conforto put up puts up numbers that are just misleading. He is a very hot and cold player. He has become a great defensive right fielder. One of the best defensive right fielders in the league. But his number, he's a very streaky player. He's like a Lucas Duda. When he's hot, he's hot. When he's not, he's not. That's the best way I could put it. And the sad part is, is he's going to go somewhere to a hitter's ballpark and probably become the player that every Met fan fears he could be. But I think with him rejecting the qualifying offer, the New York Mets are officially done. They're, they're moving on, and it's sad. It, it's very sad. And I know I, I start the second half of this podcast on with you just heard me rant why Michael Conforto, Michael Conforto either didn't or accepted the qualifying offer. And it's not really a rant, mostly because most of this, pod, most of this entry podcast is not spent about talking to him. It's because I pretty much have, was accepted of the fact by mid-July that Michael Conforto's met career, unless there was a dramatic turnaround, was over. And I'm happy to say I saw my When I saw Michael Conforto play, he looked awful. Uh, you know, most of the time. But I, when I saw him play, at least I can say I saw Michael Conforto home run assistance, Bank Park. 2015 will never be forgotten. I was at the Utley game. I, a lot of memories come to mind for me. They do. You know. And most of that 2015 team. Syndergaard, I think, is going to accept the qualifying offer, which, you know, 18, $19 million almost for him. I would accept it too. I I, I, don't, I think it's a no-brainer for the Mets. They need the pitching help, and that's why you're not getting this whole – you'll get a whole Noah Syndergaard retrospective if he doesn't accept the qualifying offer because then it's really – that's it. familia is gone. I don't see the Mets bringing him back. I mean, they could, but I don't see it. Kadir's retired. Duda's retired. Kelly Johnson retired in 16, I think. He came back to the Mets. I, people forget about that in 16. Juan Haribe, gone. Tyler Clippard was gone right after it. I'm going to the 2015 team. Wright retired. Really, final year he played was in 16. Murphy went to the Nationals and the Rockies, mostly with the Nationals, was a great player. Tejada, Is still in the Phillies minor league system, believe it or not. Uh, But has never really gotten... He returned to the major leagues with the Mets. Never really got back. Uh, Flores with the Giants. uh, Curtis Granderson's in the broadcast booth. Was a great Met. Had a couple good years. Cespedes, we all know what happened with him. The ups, the downs, the boar, the wild boar incident. Uh, Sixteen carried the team to the playoffs. Uh, still, uh, into an in, in, has left his mark, indelible mark in Mets history. I think that's pretty fair to say, with, with good and bad. Uh, Duda, we forgot about Lucas Duda. He made a bad throw to first base. You know, other than that, he had a decent Met career, but he'll always be remembered for that one throw. he would just would sort have of planted his feet and take his time. I'm not saying the Mets would have won the World Series because they, they, they didn't. DeGrom was not himself. He was tired. After that Dodger game, he was never really the same. But we would have had a game six, which the Mets really – they should have won that series in five. Let's be honest, folks. Uh, Comforto is gone pretty much. I, I'd be shocked if he comes back. And the pitching, Stephen Matz is still in the league. John Neese nice is gone. Bartolo Colon is retired. They're both meaning both. Gone means retired out of the league. Harvey's never been the same since leaving the mound in game five. That's the sad one in this whole story. Because at least Conforto and all the guys I brought up either stayed in the league for a couple more years and were productive. Matt Harvey just fell off the map. And it's sad. Um, let's see. Wheeler, if we, if we really want to get go there, is with the Phillies. Could win a Cy Young. I mean, <sighs> Harvey DeGrom, Syndergaard, Matt Syndergaard. It's never been the same since '16, but he's still with the club. DeGrom has really been the only one from that team that's ever really panned out into what we expected. And he's on, if he got snubbed, by the way, from that Silver Slugger award. But he could have, he could have won. He's on his, if he wins one more Cy Young, he's going to the Hall of Fame. No pitcher with three Cy Youngs has not made it to the Hall of Fame. Uh. Bullpen-wise, I, I said Tyler Clippard's not in the league. Uh, Hansel Robus is going from team to team. Familia's never been the same since the 16th season. His met career is most likely over. Uh, I was shocked to learn he was in the league for 10 years, believe it or not. But it just goes to show you that there's only two guys left standing from that 2015 team. And it's... DeGrom and Syndergaard. And Syndergaard's not even officially coming back. But I, I don't see him rejecting that offer. And from all indications, he'll accept it. And that's all I got. The Michael Conforto story was he never lived up to fan expectations or, and probably organizational expectations. And it's just sad. It really is. But that's all I got. This has been a look back slash Talking about the past of the podcast slash the future and past the New York Mets and a look back at Michael Conforto. The title of this podcast will be a look back at what could have been. No, it, I don't know what it's obviously Justin Penick's going to be in the title. Uh, talking Giants, Justin Penick, but I don't know what the what the Mets side of this will be. I'll think of something, but. It's just sad that Michael Conforto in closing never lived up to the expectations. And if a and if a if he doesn't face Madison Bumgarner in 2016, he doesn't get sent down because remember he came up from Double A. People forget that. For the trade for Johnson, Haribe Conforto comes up. That's traded for Gomez. Flores cries on the field. Uh, I, I, Wheeler's in that trade. Said. And the trade, because of medicals, doesn't go through. They get Cespedes. They almost got Bruce a year earlier. Jay Bruce from the Reds. They almost got Justin Upton. I mean, this is stuff people forget. But Michael Conforto was an integral part of the 2015 team. But ultimately, he's had some ups. The national walk-off against Sean Doolittle in 19. But... Michael Conforto never lived up to the expectation as fans. And I've said this a million times, but this is the closing. In closing, my closing argument, my closing statement is I wish Michael Conforto nothing but the best. I know he didn't live up to expectations that we had as fans, but he had a decent Met career. It was still a disappointment, but he still had a decent Met career. I mean, he's seventh on the all-time list in home runs. But that's all I got. Michael, I know you'll never listen to this, but still, I wish you nothing but the best if you don't come back, which I don't think you will. You 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 did have class. The fans were tough on you, and you took it. You took it well. You weren't like Lindor that couldn't handle it, but we're stuck with Lindor for 10 more years. Oh, Don't even get me started. So, Michael, thank you so much. Now, let's hear from the sponsor. Then it's Justin Panic time from Talking Giants, John Boy Media. Thank you, Justin, so much for coming on. We talked a lot about stuff. We talked about Jason Garrett, Dave Gettleman. All, we talked about it all. I'm going to shut up. We're going to get what the audience have been waiting for for 24 minutes and 20 seconds. But first, let's hear from this week's sponsor, Anchor. Take it away, Anchor. All right, ladies and gentlemen, you just heard my rant about why Mike Conforto either did accept the qualifying offer or didn't accept the qualifying offer. This is the interview section of the podcast. It's the bye week, so I this is pre-recorded. I don't see Jason Garrett getting fired. I don't see Joe Judge getting fired. We all know Gettleman's not going anywhere because this is John Mara. So I have Justin Pentagon. I promised you guys him a few weeks ago. Some stuff happened, mostly my college came in the way of studies so Justin how are you man
1: hey, it's great to be on once again with you I hope you are well um Giants are three and six at the bye that is Dave Guttelmans best record to the first yeah. nine weeks of the season so Benny we're making some progress man I think Guttelmans uh working up to save his job and everybody's working up to save their job no but I'm good um you know Giants are still somewhat in a sad state of affairs, but the, in the back of my brain, I'm thinking nine and eight, there's a There's a path to nine and eight and I'm buckling up for that until I'm going to be disappointed once again.
0: Yeah. And I, I just don't know. I think when I had you on back in August or no end of July, my worst fear was this happening. And one of the things we were worried about was the offensive line and Garrett. Well, it's pretty safe to say our worst fears came true.
1: Yes, absolutely. Um, Especially with, again, I would especially say with Garrett. Now, the offensive line, why we had to fear the offensive line is just because of the talent overall. Um, But Thomas going down, which he did keep the unit afloat towards the first half of the season, first quarter of the season. He really did keep the unit afloat. And you are now seeing, like, we have enough of a sample size with Andrew Thomas and now without Andrew Thomas. And what's also notable is that Kenny Galladay and Kadarius Toney were back against the Raiders yesterday. They were both back. And you saw basically the same offense if they were off the field. So mm-hmm. really what I think this coaching staff is really funneling in is they just flat out, they don't trust this offensive line. I've never seen a coaching staff not trust their offensive line. And you, know, you, can, you can be on the side that says, well, can you blame them? No, I, I, I can't blame them. But at the same time, when you look at just the putrid results of lack of explosive plays and Daniel Jones on average only throwing the ball 3.7 yards down the field against the Raiders and then four yards down the field against the Chiefs, I mean, that's Pop Warner numbers. Those are are flat out Pop Warner numbers. And we need to be a little bit more competitive. I'm not talking about taking deep shots every single opportunity to throw the ball. But there needs to be a little bit more balance on this offense, even when you have a bad offensive line. So really it's the problems and the frustrations that we had with last year of not being able to throw the ball down the field, and not creating explosive plays, except now that's on steroids. And they are over-relying, which is a good thing, I guess. They're over-relying on Andrew Thomas. And Andrew Thomas may come back, and I think the the playbook will be opened up, which is not the right philosophy, but it's going to be the result probably.
0: Yeah, yeah. Um... I got to I don't know where I am with this offense, because even when Andrew Thomas was there, they weren't taking as many deep shots as you would like. And Jason Garrett's best game is when he didn't have. And I think you would agree with me on this. Kenny Galladay, Tony. I think he had Slayton. Did he have no Shepard was inactive right before the game started. Everyone gets my point. No Barkley. That was his best game.
1: Yeah, absolutely good. How do
0: you how do you trust them? Like, and how do you trust Joe Judge? Like, I know people like to blame Jason Garrett, and I know your podcast is starting to say this as well. How do you trust Joe Judge? Because I'm starting to think this is his philosophy: just play conservative, you know, pin them deep, which doesn't work because Riley Dixon, his punting hasn't been the same, and rely on our defense.
1: No, he's talked about it. I mean, he he has had every kind of opportunity throughout the last couple of weeks specifically to caveat and to pivot from saying, Oh, yeah, you know, we want to do a little bit better offensively. We want to prioritize scoring points more. We want to prioritize being a little bit more explosive, especially against the the Raiders. You know, his, his post-game quotes in terms of not getting the ball to Kadarius, Tony, and Kenny Galladay more. It was like, no, like the approach was to come out and run the ball. The approach was to come in, and that's fine. Like you can have that game plan, but again, there just needs to be a little bit more balance. There needs to be just flat out more balance and there needs to be a middle ground because you're just not going to skate by every single week scoring 16 points, less than 20 points, less than 30 points. They still haven't scored 30 points. So Jason Garrett offense has not scored over 30 points as an offense. Cause there was a pick six last year against Dallas, which I believe they scored 30 points against Dallas on the road last year, but that was a Kyler Fackrell pick six that put seven points on the board for the Giants. So still we are looking at this Jason Garrett offense not scoring 30 points. And I think Joe Judge is fine with that as long as it results in a win some of the time, right? Where you want to control the field position, you want to control the time of possession, you want to control the clock and all these things that don't really matter in wins and losses. Um, Be conservative, take points, take three points instead of seven. That's his approach. And he said it time and time again. And, you know, he the opportunity, he's had opportunities to fire Jason Garrett. And the second that he does that, I'm going to be a little bit more back on Joe Judge. But then we are at a point where I am concerned about his replacement. Because if this is what he values, then even if we fire Jason Garrett, a replacement probably won't come in, come in and maximize the top potential this offense does have.
0: Yeah, and I think you guys said this on the morning podcast. I, I listened to your podcast this morning. We're, we're going to bring up the car flipping in a oh, minute, yeah. but I, 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 I was laughing so hard. People, like, I, anyway, how do we know that the Giants – like, why would you sign Kenny Galladay if this is your yeah. offense? Like, I get drafting Kadarius Tony because I would have done it too. If you're not, of course, I would have done offensive line first, but, again, I'm not the general manager. Why, why spend all that money and hurt yourself for years to come? And that's the same thing with Kyle Rudolph. I know he had two targets yesterday that actually was, were good gains. I I just don't get it. So
1: the main thing that everybody was talking about when Kenny Galladay was signed was contested catches, contested targets, contested catches. This Jason Garrett offense is predicated on not creating separation. It's predicated on not creating yards after the catch. So if you can get a physical wide receiver in here, which sometimes you can just throw the ball up in the air, just throw it up. He'll come down with it. He'll break a tackle, and he will create the yards after the catch by himself. So you saw Kenny Galladay while he was healthy, especially in that Saints game, averaging over eight yards after the catch per reception. I'm really nothing, nothing long or nothing short. Like he, he's just been targeted past the sticks routinely. You know, every single week, but. Nothing vertical route, nothing huge, nothing jaw dropping it. And that's why we signed him. So Benny, you know, you're right where you're sitting there and if he's out there, he should be healthy, right? If he's playing and he's active, my mentality is these guys should be healthy. They've babied Kenny holiday throughout the summer. And I think, you know, they might've babied him a little bit with this injury too, keeping him out a week or two longer than maybe if we were in contention, they would play him. So if they're out there, you got to play him. And mm-hmm. You know, not even targeting him, right? Because that's the big thing of why wasn't he targeted more? Why was it why wasn't he targeted more? The Giants wanted to have the approach against the, the Raiders to run the ball. Sure. Okay, I'm fine with that. But then taking him off the field for so many snaps, where there's no threat. At least, you know, if you have him on the field, there's a threat of oh, here's Kenny Galladay. We have to account for him. When you take him off the field and you put Colin Johnson and Darius Slayton on the field there's no threat. There's no threat of the past there. That doesn't do anything to a defense. So it's like, they're just going to guess run, guess, run, guess, run. And that doesn't help. That does not help a bad offensive line. So everybody is talking about, and I, and I hate to bring up Twitter talking points on your, on your show, Benny, but this is just where my brain is right now. Everybody talks about bad offensive line, bad offensive line. That's a reason why you can't do X, Y, Z. Well, you're not helping set a bad offensive line when you just, continuously run the ball, you set yourself up in third and long situations, that hurts your offensive line. When you're continuously facing third and eights, third and sevens, that's going to hurt your offensive line and put them in a bad spot because you're expected to get so many yards on third down. Now, luckily for the Giants, their game plan and their approach worked um, enough. It it worked enough. And, you know, the other side of the football on the defense side of the ball, it carried them to a victory um, kind of once again in similar fashion like it did against Seattle last year. Yeah,
0: and here's the thing. And I'm, I'm just saying this to my audience because I get the same. I don't get as much giant hate as you guys do about credit when you criticize and get it. Because I'm obviously a Mets podcast. If their kicker, I don't know the Raiders kicker's name, makes that kick that he missed. It's a completely different ball game, in my yeah. opinion.
1: Yeah. And the thing is, is that the way that the Raiders lost is how usually the Giants lose. It's. Yep. You know, lack of red zone efficiency. Now I'm not going to, I'm not going to solely pin it on the Raiders being bad. I'm going to legitimately say Patrick Graham's defense in the red zone is real deal. Like they were top five last year. They allowed a lot of yards last year. They allowed time of possession last year, but they just clamped down in certain spots of the field where either, you know, against Carolina this year it was clamping down at midfield and not allowing them to really get into the red zone. And then against the Chiefs and against the Raiders, it's clamping down inside the red zone. So that's what Patrick Graham's defense does best. And frankly, you're not going to win in the NFL with field goals on a consistent basis. You see it every week with the Giants, where the Giants don't win kicking field goals on a consistent basis. They're like the they have the highest rate of field goals in the National Football League, where like 32% or 35% of their points are coming from field goals, which is the highest rate in the National Football League. Um, and you saw in which the, how the Raiders lost on Sunday is how the Giants usually lose, where on third and short situations inside the red zone, when maybe you should be going for it on fourth down, you kick a field goal. So that's exactly how they lost. So obviously the missed field goal hurts them as well, but that was a fourth and short situation where I thought they should have went for it. And I think they would have gotten it because you know, mm-hmm. they were running a lot of plays and they were just chipping away, but they would stall out. And that's what happens to
0: the Giants a lot of the time. Yeah. Where would we be without Graham? Gano? know, I, I want to give him a shout out. I don't think he gets yeah. enough credit for that. That's probably the best Dave Gentleman signing of his whole tenure. Would you, would you agree with me on that? He has to be in the top five.
1: No, no. You, know, you want to know why I wouldn't? Because I just don't, this is my own personal bias as like a fan, but also somebody who you know was behind a microphone a lot. I just could care less about special teams, man. I could, mm-hmm. I, I, I could care less. Now I think your field goal kicker is extremely valuable when you're down by two points with 30 seconds to go and you're at midfield and you don't have any timeouts left, you know, Hey, I'm a little, I'm, I'm very comfortable giving my kicker an opportunity to kick a 55 yard field goal, right? That's where kickers are valuable. But outside of that, man, there I just, I get so frustrated with field goals. And this is what the giants have done to me over the years because there's been multiple coaching staffs, not even Joe Judge, but there's been multiple coaching staffs where scoring seven points has been so difficult that I just get so annoyed whenever we kick three. So it, it, it's unfortunate that I have that perception of, you know, kickers and stuff like that. But yeah, Graham Gano yesterday, though, it was just automatic. You know, there was no hesitation of putting him out there, especially in that situation where going from four points to be up to seven points was so huge. There was just no hesitation. I could sit back in section 315. I'm like, oh, Graham Gano's got this. You know, Graham Gano is going to make this a seven point game. So I will give Graham Gano credit there, where, you know, I'm no, I'm no longer thinking of a field goal missing a kick. I'm more frustrated that we're just kicking field goals to begin with.
0: Yeah. And I, I'm just thinking imagine if Audric Rosas was in this offense and every time the Giants settle for three, maybe it's a good thing that the Giants would actually go for it more if they had a bad kicker because they're like, well, nothing's to give me. Absolutely. That, that's just something that bothers me. So let's just transition into Joe judge. A lot of my audience, by the way, go follow talking giants on pod, all the podcasting networks. They have a great Everywhere. Patreon. Uh, anyway, he is really messing up. Bad. yesterday was fine, but the chiefs game was probably one of his worst games I've ever seen him coach. And his post-game press conference got me so mad. I was not mad that the Giants lost the game because I'm just used to it. When he made that whole thing about the headset, that's what got me mad. Because all he is is I'm going to take accountability. And as a coach, as a baseball coach, that's what I tell my players. So to hear him, the guy that preaches accountability over and over and over again, not take accountability for wasting timeouts, that that bothered me. So what's your thoughts on Joe Judge overall?
1: Yeah, well, the, the headset thing was, was funny because he said it was an issue that was ongoing for a couple of weeks. And yep. this is a guy that has an answer for everything. Like Joe Judge has an answer for everything. So a supposed issue that's been happening for a few weeks, that's the one thing he didn't have an answer on. I think it's kind of BS, and I don't know if I fully believe that it was a headset issue. And by the way, um, Bose um, headsets that I'm wearing right now, Bose, the headphones I'm wearing right now, the official sponsor of the NFL and all the coaches were the Bose headphones. And then the giants put out a video later, later earlier last week of Dexter Lawrence and Leonard Williams playing a game of trying to read lips while you have headphones on. And the video was sponsored by Bose. So it's just, it's really funny how that worked out. Yeah. With judge ultimately what it comes down to Benny, you know, we we talked about a little earlier with judge. I'm a lot more back on judge. If, he changes his offensive philosophy. I, I really am. He deserves credit for the defense. Right. But why we are more critical of Joe judge because of the offense, like why don't you give more credit to Joe judge because defense, because the offense is the most important thing in the game of football. It's an offensive league and it's a league that is predicated around scoring points, like the flat out. And that is why I am more out on Joe judge right now than I, I was last year, because those were things that we talked about last year. It's like, okay, it's year one COVID year. Still a bad line. Andrew Thomas, rookie. Nick Gates changing positions. No San Juan Barkley. Blah, nobody on the skill position level. Blah, 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 blah. Well, you have those things now, right? Have those things now. Injuries on the O line sucks, but you have the rest of those things now. Second year in the system with continuity, which that was the whole thing they talked about. Continuity, continuity, continuity. And this is still a bad offense. This is still an offense that doesn't score points. And they are, you know, fourth to last in the National Football League in explosive play rate. So it's just, uh, it's not good. I do think that Joe Judge is going to be back, though. Um, I have a very, very good, strong opinion on that, um, that he will be back next year unless something catastrophic happens, which I think the back end of the schedule, there's a few more wins there, and I think he will be back, but Gettleman will be gone.
0: Yeah, and I, I agree with you. Um, if the Giants could somehow beat the Bucks Monday night, I feel like this whole narrative around Judge changes about it, about the team not being disciplined. Of course, there were so many stupid penalties going back to, and there were some stupid ones yesterday too. The roughing the kick, what what was that one yesterday against? Yeah, the it, was, it was
1: like a roughing the punter one, which uh, yeah. Bob, Bobby Skinner saw it on the 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 TV broadcast while I was at the game, and he was like, "Yeah, that wasn't really much." But um, Bobby Skinner also likes contact football; is a contact sport, so yeah. I don't blame him. But I, I I just loved how it was prize possession, Keon Crosson, who we traded a sixth round pick for, a a sole special teamer um you know these guys don't they they tend to not make big plays on special teams right um yep. which i I, fi- I find that to be funny
0: elijah penny uh the taunting the king as you as the giant community oh, king penny it. yeah <laughs> he could have won us the game if he just went to taunt it he could have not want us the game but we could have kept the time of possession jumping off sides like that that's what's bothering me the most except with the offense like how many times this year have we lost a game where someone's jumped off sides? I, I think a two. two right because
1: yeah. You have the, you have the Dexter Lawrence one, and then you have O'Shane Zimenez, which this was a point I talked about on talking giants today too. This is just a coaching thing in general, not even with Joe judge. Patrick Graham did this a little bit and NFL coaches are extremely, extremely stubborn. Why does it take so long for coaches to play young guys? Mm-hmm. We saw it with O'Shane Zimenez, who provided nothing like O'Shane Zimenez provided nothing. He was a guy that I thought might've been cut this heading into camp because I, I didn't have a very high evaluation of O'Shane. Um, but then you pick up a guy like Quincy Rocher. you know, he shows, he shows promise. This is a guy that I think everybody was excited from day one. Like, yes, this is a guy that we were talking about possibly being drafted in the third or the fourth round. He fell to the sixth round and then he got cut from the Steelers because that edge room was already stacked anyway. So why does it take so long for NFL coaches to play their young guys? Quincy Roche, O'Shane Zimenez, Matt Parrott with Nate Solder. Um, you saw it a couple of years ago with Julian Love, Antoine Bethe. Why I just don't understand why is what what's the stubbornness? Like what, what do you have to lose? There's a certain point where you don't have where you have something, where you don't have anything to lose. And the difference is O'Shane Zimenez jumping. Offside against the Chiefs, possibly winning that game. And Quincy Roche actually winning the game for you, the first game where he gets a lot of snaps. That's the difference.
0: Yeah, and I, and I agree with you. And I, and I want to circle to the old line again because you brought up someone I forgot about, which I can't believe because I watch every Giant game like you do. What is Nate Soder doing on this <laughs> team? I would rather start someone else that's a rookie because you could at least make that excuse. This guy stinks.
1: Nate Gettleman talked about you got to play the young guys at some point. And he actually said that, I think, as a defense to kind of not acknowledging tackle over the offseason and, and as a push up for Matt Parrott, as an endorsement for Matt Parrott. You got to play the young guys eventually. You got to play them. Yet Nate Soldier is one of the worst free agent signings in franchise history. Thank God he took that pay cut. But he's one of the worst, right? He is the worst Dave Gettleman free agent signing. Um, he might be the worst he might be the worst in history because at least there have been signings that the giants have made in the past and they've cut ties early so then there's only one year which they have to pay the dead cap or whatever no the giants have been paying Nate Solder all these years all these years they 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 didn't get out of the contract and obviously the covid opt out really hurt them it really hurt them you know but i'm not going to judge solder off of that you know that personal decision that was justified but yeah man uh, he's bad. He, he's just bad. And they're, and they're, not, they're not playing parrot. They didn't, they're not going to play parrot even when Andrew Thomas comes back. So I can't wait for that reaction.
0: Yeah. Uh, I was about to ask you and you answered it. Can he at least ride the bench once Andrew Thomas comes back no. and it's going to be no, because Joe, I think this has to do with Joe judge too. Cause I don't think gentlemen makes those types of decisions. It's not like baseball where the general manager hands yep. you a lineup. And you have to like work with them. I think it's because he's a New England Patriot. Nate there was a New England Patriot. I, I think that has something to do with it. It's it's also like the Giants are going
1: to do things in a certain way, and it's how and it's why they it's how they signed Kyle Rudolph too. Signing Kyle Rudolph even after they found out that he needed surgery on his foot that kept him out until the week before basically the regular season or the, you know those those Patriots joint practices. It's the Giants do things in a certain way. So we're not going to leave Nate Solder high, cut, and dry. We're not going to do that to Kyle Rudolph after we, after he he misevaluated or didn't tell us information or didn't know information about, about a broken foot or something that he needed surgery on. We're not going to do that because that's like the Giants way. And that's fine and dandy if you're winning games, but the fact that you're not winning games, it all just looks bad. You know, It goes back to the whole discipline thing of we're going to do things in the right way we're going to punch you in the mouth for 60 minutes, all those kind of comments, you know, that they all come back when you're, when you're unfortunately
0: losing. Yeah. And I think, by the way, Justin and a couple other giants traders have this uh, Twitter space. I think oh. it's called with um, a lot of big guys have joined. I saw Lawrence times is in it. I know he didn't speak times is in it. I'm trying Carl a banks. Lot of guys are in it. Carl banks. I was about to say him. Like, like
1: John Jalapio, uh, John John the, the day that uh, he signed with the 49ers, he, he, he was in there. and We got a chance to congratulate him. Yeah, those, uh, those boiling point Twitter spaces organized by Will have been, a, have been a lot of fun. And you've joined in on a couple of those, so I'm glad you've been there.
0: Yeah, and it's, it's just because it's so frustrating. And I was a Dave gentleman, I don't want to say supporter, but I was someone after the OB, OBJ trade that was like, you know what, it needed to be done it just wasn't working on obviously want to get in better moves is getting rid of OBJ because he's not with the Browns anymore, but I'm done. Like I, even if the giants make the playoffs, I'm just hoping he steps down. Like I'm done.
1: It's still a little bit more likely that the giants get a top five pick than they make the playoffs. I'm pretty sure. Um, yep. But why, but why not? You know, seriously, I, I, I kind of am in this mode of, I'm enjoying this win and i'm kind of laissez faire right now laissez faire and hands off the coaching staff thinks they can win this way the coaching staff thinks that if they control the time of possession if they run the ball well and if they just do enough in a certain game they think they can win and they can sustain victories like that in a way how the defense has played the last 3 weeks that's been the way that they that they were supposed to play the entire season right secondary clamping down you know pass rushes okay to bad right okay you know okay at best bad at the norm um this is how they thought that they would win games to start the year and they have a second half of this schedule which they probably can win a few more games like this the chargers game is something that is winnable i think if you go nine and eight you still have an opportunity at a wild card spot and you could lose two more games. You can lose to the Bucs, and you can lose to the Cowboys. And that's pretty much it. You have to win every single other game, um, which I think they can do, especially when you look at the opponents. But we shall see. The Giants, I still think they're not a good football team, but they're going to have an opportunity and a favorable one while these guys are starting to come back and get healthy. They're going to have an opportunity. So at this point, Benny, bye week. I'm enjoying the win. I'm enjoying still talking about somewhat relevant Giants football in the month of November. Let's see it. Um, I'm willing to let it play out because my cards are on the table of what I think works and what I think doesn't work. My cards are on the table. Now it's their turn to see if they want to pick them up or not.
0: Yeah. And, and I agree with you. Um, I don't think Jason Garrett's ever going to get a head coaching job again. I hope so. My- <laughs> not getting a head coaching job. Yeah. No,
1: I know. I hope that he does. I hope that oh. he does get a head coaching job.
0: Yeah. And if the Giants go 9-8, and and this is what some people have commented on my podcast, like in the comments section, well, then Garrett's going to be back. Because that meant it worked. Could you? Man,
1: (laughs) I I don't know. Uh, It will depend on Andrew Thomas coming back. And do we have more Saints and Washington games? Or do we have more Chiefs and Raider games? I mean, that's really going to be the bottom line. You know, it, I just it's frustrating, though, that you have you have games like Washington, right? And then yep. you have games like Atlanta, which Atlanta is a bad defense. They're supposed to take advantage of. And they didn't Washington at the time. You know, now they're they're god awful. Like Washington's defense is one of the worst in the league. Yeah, they're worse than the Giants. But at, at the well, Giants and the Giants have actually made a really nice rebound, Um, at least in a lot, a lot of the more advanced metrics that I look at they made a really nice rebound from being one of the league's worst to now they're about average when you look at their season total um, with the, some, some of the efficiency stuff. So Giants' defense has had a nice rebound, but Washington at the time when we played them week two, they were viewed as one of the league's best, right? So had a really good game plan, really good execution that game. Go home against Atlanta, bad. Go against New Orleans, which they do have the one of the league's best defenses, good game. It's just so inconsistent. Like the games in which we expect the Giants to take a dump, Jason Garrett is like, all right, I have to be more aggressive here, so I am going to be more aggressive. And then the games in which we expect the Giants to take advantage of a bad defense, Jason Garrett goes in with an ultra-conservative mindset, and then it's bad, and then we make them look like the 85 Bears. There's no consistency where it's like, oh, we're playing a bad defense. I could be conservative this game. No. There should be an aggressive mindset every single game, but there's just not. So...
0: Yeah, and I, and I agree with you. And I guess this will segue into the last offensive topic I want to talk about. And my audience would kill me if I didn't bring this up. And I think you know who it's going to be. It's not Barkley. It's Daniel Jones. Yeah. I'm just done talking about, oh, is he the franchise quarterback? Is he not the franchise quarterback? What I tell my audience is I've seen enough when he's able to just be himself to, like, to me, he could be the franchise quarterback but I also understand those people that also say he's not a franchise quarterback. He's average at best. So what's your assessment through the first nine games of the season? He's done enough
1: to be back next year, but ultimately Mm -hmm. at the end of the day, he has not done enough to deserve a big contract. Whenever his contract is up, right. He's deserved enough to be back next year. He's deserved enough to get his fifth year option picked up the year after, right? but he's not at the the giants wouldn't it would not be a smart move to sign him to a very long term deal with a lot of guaranteed money and that's not necessarily a reflection on him it's just a reflection on where the nfl is and where it's headed of teams are doing the best they are winning the most and they are putting themselves in positions to win super bowls with quarterbacks that are on their rookie deals versus quarterbacks who are veterans right um you know the lamar jacksons of the world jimmy garoppolo well jimmy garoppolo that doesn't count that's that's he because he got that big contract ascension with the 49ers but um you, you see constantly time and time again jared goff when the rams made it to the super bowl even though he's not a great quarterback they made it to the super bowl with a, just an awesome awesome roster and they were able to kind of pay him on the cheap and then obviously they overpaid for him so you see time and time again these teams that are building rosters because they have quarterbacks who they're not paying a lot of money to Russell Wilson hasn't had a lot of playoff success as the years have gone on had the most playoff success when management was able to put the best roster around him when he was a rookie when he he was on his rookie deal right so that's the thing on Daniel Jones he's running out of time he has certainly done more than enough to show that he should be the quarterback next year should get the fifth year option picked up Um, but after that it's still to be determined because I still can't fully get that evaluation on him. It's like, yeah, is is this guy, the guy? And largely because of Garrett, but at the end of the day, it it doesn't matter how much time goes, goes by. Eventually you're going to need to make an evaluation on him. So that's where I am right now.
0: Yeah. And I could totally see him going to Pittsburgh and I'm not saying that he is going to go to Pittsburgh. I'm using them as an example and him being very good going into a new system and being fine. I'm not saying he's going to be the Giants franchise quarterback, but I'm saying he's earned enough to come back next year in the year. Like you said, the year after. Yeah. It's just so frustrating how some of these fans just keep the poor guy. It's like, I'm happy. He's not on social media, but Oh my God. Yeah. And really it's, what can you point to
1: touchdowns, interceptions, fumbles not even fumbles by the way not even interceptions because these are all just narratives that are still stemming off of his rookie year in my opinion when you all you you look at the total you look at the total interceptions and you look at the total fumbles turnovers have not been a daniel jones problem since 2019 on a consistent basis and besides the tampa game last year where that was a very very bad game Besides the Tampa game last year, I can't think of where I can't really think of a game on a consistent basis where turnovers were a problem for Daniel Jones. Now, the thing is, I wouldn't mind a few more turnovers if we produce more explosive plays and if we put more points up on the board. But every turnover feels like the end of the world because we don't put up points because we don't score points. That's why every turnover is like, oh, every turnover is an evaluation of Daniel Jones. That, that's, not, that's not fair. That's not fair on the kid, especially when he's not turning it over at the same rate that he was his rookie year. So a lot of these narratives that people talk about, they stem from his rookie year. They stem from not liking the draft pick. Um, and they stem from not really fully understanding how much of an impact Jason Garrett has on this offense. Uh, I really do.
0: I really do. Yeah. And I'm not going to lie to you. I wanted Josh Allen. That's why I wanted. I didn't want, who is that guy? I can't believe I'm blaking on him. It's been, a, it's been a long day. Who was the guy that Washington picked and then got released last year because of his attitude? Dwayne Haskins. Dwayne Haskins. I'm sorry for my listeners who are screaming it right now.
1: That's that's but, all right. Uh, it's it's yeah. perfectly okay to, to not remember who Dwayne Haskins is because he yeah. is irrelevant.
0: Yeah. Um, anyway, you know, I wanted Alan. A lot of people wanted Dwayne Haskins. I don't. I didn't really see why. I think a lot of the college quarterbacks that come out of Ohio state never really pan out, but you know, it's, it's time for people to get over it. I think that the entertainer said it best. It's just time for people to get over it. Cause it's like, he's not doing anything that's costing us games. Like he was his rookie year. Yeah.
1: Yeah. And you know, the, the ironic thing is, is that his rookie year was really the last time that, I genuinely felt confident that we did have a guy. Saints game is an exception. Washington game is an exception, but on a week by week basis, you know, they were scoring points. Jones Mm -hmm. was throwing for touchdowns, you know, yards don't necessarily matter at the end of the day, but still the offense was moving the ball. And this year, there's just no, there's no consistency where I'm like, you know what? Jones had a good game here. Jones had a good game there. Sure. But there's no consistency with the offense overall. And that his rookie year, ironically enough, even though he was turning over the ball the most, that was really the last time that I was really sold on like, yeah, you know, I'm excited for his future. I'm still not excited for Daniel Jones's future. I'm not until they make a decision to change the philosophy of offense.
0: Yeah. And I I totally can see that. And I guess let's transition into Dave Gettleman. Uh, He's pretty much been in this podcast a lot, but my audience members left a lot of questions. If the giants make the playoffs, which we're both saying is, I I think I have a little more faith than you do right now, and that's just because they have that game over Carolina. So that's a team, if, if we tie with them, I think Atlanta is going to fall off. They have to play the Bucks and a couple other teams that are hard. I think that it's a little more feasible if we could somehow beat Tampa Bay. But I don't think I'm, – I'm not saying that's going to happen, but I always have this weird feeling that it's Brady. You never know with the yeah. Giants.
1: And they played them well last year, too. The only thing is that, okay, so they can go on a run, but then you put it together, right? What are they? Three and six right now. So nine games. You have uh, how many games left? Because you have 18 games left. You have eighteen 17 games in a season. So it's eight games left. Giants need to go six and two from, from here on out. So when you put that in retrospect, Giants record being six and two in their final eight games, it's one of those things where it's just like, I don't know about that. You look at the games and you're confident about the games, but then you look at the record overall. It doesn't matter who the Giants play. Can the Giants realistically put together six wins out of eight? The Giants have had trouble putting six wins together on a 32-game basis, let alone Mm -hmm. an eight-game rate.
0: (laughs) Yeah, and that's why I think we're both not confident that they're going to do it because I don't think they're going to win in Philly. That could be the third loss right
1: there. Oh, they're cursed. Uh, there's there's just something about be playing in Philly, that they're that they're, there's a curse. I I I may even have to go down whenever they play because uh, I've only been the one way one away game is Washington. I need to see what this voodoo which uh, what what's going on in about playing in Philly. I mean, there have been god awful Philadelphia teams throughout the years, and just we have we haven't been able to beat them have not, you
0: want to know what makes it worse. They have the Eagles have not won a game yet this season at home. Yes, that is true. Yes. That'll be their first one. Yeah. They're they're only one. The Giants will be like on this terrific run. They'll go to Philadelphia, probably like week, week 15 and they'll blow like a 10 point lead. with Like two minutes left. Oh my goodness. Anyway, back to Dave Kettleman. Um, if he makes the playoffs, do you think he resigns? Like I said, do you think he stays? We know if he doesn't make the playoffs, he's gone. And what are the Giants going to do? Are they going to stay in house, promote Abrams? Are they going to go outside and, you know, actually try to do something different?
1: I think they're going to go outside and it's going to be kind of off a judge. That's what I really think it's going to be because I think judges here, it will be an outside hire, but it may be a joe judge connection which at the end of the day if they're gonna do it i guess i'll root for it but but again the the thing that i'm going to be doing the second whoever's hired play caller gm whatever i'm looking at their track record for positional value if it's a gm track record for positional value what positions do you draft wherever you come from are you trading for draft picks are you acquiring draft picks like the ravens we were talking about this one of the giants twitter spaces the ravens second and third round picks throughout the last however many years they they just garner them they garner them they garner they garner they garner all these second and third round picks um you know and the thing and the nfl draft is a lottery nfl draft is a lottery the more lottery tickets you have the more likely you're able to hit on some of them so 2020 for example had a lot of picks, a lot of lottery picks. Where even if you swing on missing some, there's still some that are going to hit. I think Tay Crowder. Listen, Tay Crowder's had a bad he has had a bad year, but if you're telling me that we get an interior linebacker number two or an interior linebacker number one that can somewhat take the place of Blake Martinez when he's Mister Irrelevant, I take that. You know, um, same thing with Carter Coffin. Carter Coffin deserves some more opportunities, but if he's a guy that could be on the team. As a seventh round pick, I'm here for it. But then you're gonna have some misses like Matt Pear, <laughs> right? In the in the in the third round. So that's why it's beneficial to have a lot of draft picks. And Dave Gettleman over the years hasn't valued that. But when Joe Judge comes along, you're seeing garnering draft picks is the name of the game, especially when they made that trade. They made two draft day trades last year to trade down, and then they traded once up for Aaron Robinson. So um that's I root for Joe judge to just have the control, I guess, Uh, I I guess. And I'm saying that kind of like with my hands up in the air, because if I had my choice, I would wipe everything clean. I would wipe the slate clean, let the GM bring in an outsider and let the GM pick his head coach. But um, if that's not going to happen, don't let it be like a Garrett hire where it feels a little forced. Let it be a kind of pick your own guy, pick somebody who, you know, you, you've seen to put together a pretty good staff, especially on the defense side of the ball. Let it be like that. That's the that's the hope. But again, I say that kind of like with my hands shrugged and my hands in the air, because that's not
0: necessarily what I want. But I think it's what they're going to do. Yeah, and I think you're right. And one of my listeners, I'm not going to call him out. I, I'm just reading the questions right now on Instagram. What does Dave Gettleman? I guess this person's a Dave Gettleman supporter. What does he have to do to stay here? to come back next year, or is that ship just sailed? Because in my opinion, unless the Giants make the playoffs, that ship is sailed.
1: Yeah, I I think the ship is sailed in a way no matter what. Um, Irrelevant football, when games are relevant in the month of September and the month of October. I mean, throughout nine games, this is his best record. He's still six games under five hundred. You are what your record says you are. You know, Bill. people love to quote Bill Parcells. You know, I I find a lot of people who are giving a little bit more excuses on the offensive side of the ball and maybe giving a little bit more excuses for Dave Gettleman. They may be a little bit of older fans. So the famous Bill Parcells quote, you are what your record says you are. I thought that'd be something that a lot of people would like and they would grab a hold of. And the Giants are a three and six football team. And you just look at the lack of edge presence. Dave Gellman came in here 2018 saying, we're going to rush the passer. We're going to get after the quarterback. We're four years in, and the only good investment that we've had in the edge room is Aziz Ojolari, who's 22 years old. No, 22, 23 years old. He's super young. He's super raw. It's the only good investment, only high leverage investment that we've had in the edge room all those years. And by the way, Marcus Golden has like nine sacks this year, and we traded him away for a six-round pick. Neither here nor there. Dave Gettleman said, we're going to run the ball and we're going to focus on the hog mollies. Well, you can't control the offensive line injuries, right? But the lack of depth, the absolute lack of depth that they had to just go this off season and get all these washed up veterans who Zach Fulton was ready to retire. You got to sign Joe Looney. He comes in here for three days and he retires. All these offensive linemen you have to make these training camp trades to get Billy Price to get Matt Scora, or you sign Matt Scora from the practice squad to get Ben Bredesen. yet to make a trade for there's no depth, there was zero depth on the offensive line, and that was the concerning thing. Your depth was Nate Solder, your depth, <laughs> your depth heading into the season, and the offensive line was Nate Solder. That was your backup plan, and he was the worst tackle in the game of football in 2019. So, yes, Dave Gendelman does deserve blame for that. You can't control the injuries to the starters, but injuries are going to happen, and you have to prepare for it. So that's the thing. It, it, why the Giants have faltered this year at times is lack of offensive line, lack of run game, lack of pass rush, especially lack of pass rush on the defensive side of the ball. That has really held back Patrick Graham and what he wanted to do towards the first half of this year, and now you're seeing Patrick Graham basically adjust back to what he was doing in 2020 – which is I'm going to prepare like we have zero pass rush. That's how they did it in last year. You know, bend, You're but right. don't break. So Dave Gettleman does deserve fault for that because the things that he literally said in his opening press conference, running the ball, hog mollies, offensive line pass rushers, that's the weakest part of the team.
0: Mm-hmm. You're right. And one of my biggest fears is that Patrick Grant's leaving this offseason yeah, <laughs> I don't, I don't know what this coaching staff is going to be without Patrick Graham because that's how much I don't trust. That's how much I don't trust Joe Judge right now. Right, and I, I think people forget that Brian Flores fired Patrick Graham because they had disagreements. The only reason why Patrick Graham is here is because of that dismissal.
1: Yeah, I mean, you know, this I'm sure disagreements happen all the time but you know neither here nor there Patrick Graham makes adjustments and And he had he had a top 10 defense in 2020 and he still looked at that and he said I'm going to make changes heading into 2021 I think he made changes thinking that he was going to have a better unit and he was going to have a little bit more player execution and player talent but still, I mean, he was making changes in the middle of the Raider game. Well, meanwhile, Jason Garrett hasn't made a change since 2009. So that's the, that's the frustrating and that's the dichotomy there.
0: Yeah. And I, I'm just starting to think the more and more Jason Garrett does this, it's, it's Joe Judge saying, no, no, let's play conservative. I know Garrett plays conservative, but eventually you're just going to have to think this is what Joe Judge yeah. likes
1: to do. It's, it's why Pat Shermer got fired, by the way. Because Pat Shermer got fired because he really he never put his foot in his ass with the first defense coordinator. Like, Betcher, play your guys closer to the line of scrimmage. Playing this off ball soft coverage stuff is not working. Blitz more. Whenever you blitz, it worked. Like that was the thing with the 2019 defense where they were just so, so they were conservative themselves. And Pat Shermer's offense was fine. It's more than fine, especially when you consider the 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 old line was worse in 2019 than it was in 2020 and i think even the 2019 line might have been worse compared to this year because nate solda was that left tackle every single game oh, <laughs> at God. least at least nate solder has been on the right side for most of the season where the quarterback can manipulate the pocket a little bit better versus the blind side but i think that 2019 line was a little bit worse he had jalapio and you know, all, all those guys, too. Jalapia was... Guys that uh, aren't was... even
0: in the league anymore, let's just be honest.
1: Yeah, yeah. I mean, Zeitler was there, and Zeitler was really good, but Except, you know, that, was,
0: that, was, that was that was really it. Um, By the way, cutting Kevin Zeitler was a big mistake, and I think we both said that at the time when you came back on and when uh, Kyle Rudolph said, we both said, I don't know why you're cutting Kevin Zeitler. Yeah, it, it's the... Knowing what I know now, I would have rather kept
1: Kevin Zeitler Versus signing Kyle Rudolph. You know what I mean? Because when they signed Kyle Rudolph, there was an expectation of, oh, Evan Ingram needs to be traded. Evan Ingram should not be on this team. They restructured Levine Toy Lolo before they signed Kyle Rudolph while also giving Hunter Henry, they gave him a they gave him an offer over the offseason. So knowing what I know now is yeah, I much rather prefer Kevin Zeitler keeping him and keeping that salary while maybe a big salary. Much rather have him versus Kyle Rudolph, who is what, what can't Caden Smith do that Kyle Rudolph's doing right now? I mean, that's, that's the thing.
0: When, uh, Kyle Rudolph lost me, and I think he lost at least Bobby, who's the co host of Talking Giants, was when Dallas got into that fight, which Kadarius Tony got ejected, and Kyle Rudolph just walked away. That's when he lost me. It's like he, he doesn't want to be here anymore.
1: No. No, he doesn't. It's like him and solar. Him and Solder are the are the charity guys on this team where they're just collecting checks. They're the veteran presence, sure, but they're at this point they're just collecting their checks and they they don't seem to care. They really don't.
0: Yeah, ten million dollars for veteran pre- That's just a, a day gentleman move. Yeah. Oh man, the, the one the couple of things on the defense. Then we'll get to a little talking because I like to talk to my guests. You know, see how everyone's doing. But yeah. Leonard Williams, of course, I thought it was a good signing. I think he's having a good season. You are fighting tooth and nail with people about Leonard Williams. He's not Aaron Donald, Aaron Donald but he's at least number two and number three. No Go one's ahead. Aaron Donald. No, no one. No one.
1: Uh, you know, Aaron Donald, there, there are discussions on the internet, whether they're fair or unfair. I'm just saying this as a football person who talks about it and looks at it there are comparisons Aaron Donald's getting to Lawrence Taylor in terms of his dominance. So if your benchmark for Leonard Williams is playing like Aaron Donald, I'm sorry, you're going to be disappointed. Like, (laughs) you know what I mean? You're going to be pretty, you're going to be pretty disappointed when you're comparing somebody who is getting Lawrence Taylor comparisons too. I get it. The contract's big. The giants mismanaged that, you know, that I thought the writing was on the wall to that he was going to be a good player over the offseason of twenty nineteen. I, I I kind of predicted that he was going to have a really good season in twenty twenty, because he and put he up the pressures. He put up the get
0: Benny, and he did. And this year, I'm sorry to interrupt you. He's having a good season too. I think he has four and a half sacks.
1: Yeah, I think it's I think it's five and a half actually. Um, I think it's five, I think it's five and a half. So he's getting the sacks and he's on pace for another ten sack season. It's the QB hits that are a little bit lower. So that's where I get a little bit of critical of him where. You know, yes, I know everybody talks about the sacks. Everybody loves the sacks, but I am a guy that I look at pressures. I look at QB hits and he's not doing the same things that he was doing last year. So that's where I get a little bit critical on him. But at the end of the day, I guess, you know, I guess I'm still right if he produces another 10 sack season, because everybody will get off my back. But Leonard, he's a good player. He's, he's a good player. He's a top five interior defensive lineman in this league. Um, You know, even in games where he doesn't get sacks, he still makes plays that define games where, He didn't have a sack against the Saints earlier in the year, but he chases down, which on a pitch, on an Alva Kamara pitch, who's Alva Kamara is one of the best backs in the game, on a fourth and one, chases down Alva Kamara on a pitch to make an athletic tackle, stops him before he gets that first down. And, you know, that changes that game. You know, it it keeps points off the board for the Saints, and the Giants wound up winning that game in overtime. So every kind of, every single point mattered. Even against the Raiders, which I thought, you know, I, I, it was one of those games where I don't even know if he had a pressure. I don't. I don't think he had a QB hit. Definitely didn't have a sack, but he had a couple. He different, got the he fumble. A, he recovered the fumble and he um, got two pass deflections too. Um, so he had an all right game. But over the but before that game, there was three games in a row where Leonard Williams had at least one sack. So he's having he a got good half season.
0: A, half a sack, just to answer your question, he got half a sack yesterday. He he did. They the gave him the half a sack. Yeah, because he was the. He, I just saw this on Twitter now from a giant PDFs or whatever. They said they gave him half a sack.
1: Oh, I thought Quincy Roche was the only sack that game.
0: <laughs> again, that could change again, but yeah. I'm just I'm just going well, well through my questions.
1: Well, good. There you go. Thunder Williams seven, a good year.
0: Yeah. Probably the one thing I didn't like is get letting Tom Woodson go. And I think that's where the defense had some early struggles. I just didn't want to let go of my homegrown guys. Yeah, I thought yeah. there was a way where you could get both of them. Back. And if you're not gonna sign Galladay, then you gotta get both of them back. So
1: so here's the thing I don't think it's a matter of not bringing Tomlinson back. I think it's one who they chose to replace him with. Danny Shelton's one of the worst football players I've ever seen. Before this past week, and you know, he was hurt for the last couple of weeks. So, first of all, you saw how well the defense played when he was when he was not on the field. He only got 10 snaps this past Sunday against the Raiders. And before he got hurt, the Giants defense was averaging six yards per carry allowed with him on the field with him off the field. They were averaging 3.7 yards per carry allowed. So that's almost a two yard difference versus when Danny Shelton is off the field and when Danny Shelton's on the field. So I really do think it is a matter of who they chose to replace Dalvin Thompson with. It's not that they let Dalvin Thompson walk. And also this has been the main discussion I would much rather have a Dory Jackson versus Dalvin Thompson. A Dory Jackson has been the defensive MVP so far. He's been over Leonard Williams, the defensive MVP. You know, and it's not necessarily about, oh, you know, does he come down with the interceptions? Because frankly, that's the only time that you talk about a Dory Jackson. The only time that you mention a Dory Jackson's name is getting frustrated with him that he doesn't come down with an interception. So while that is frustrating, yes, he doesn't allow a big play, doesn't allow any plays at all really frankly, and if you put a Dory Jackson stats side by side with James Bradbury stats through the first nine games, they are about even, they are about even, and everybody was going gugu Gaga over James Bradbury last year, but because a Jackson doesn't come down with these interceptions, he's a bum and he's a wasted signing. I think a Dory Jackson prioritizing him over Dalvin Tomlinson, imagine this defense without a Jackson,
0: you know, sure, right.
1: sure, with Dalvin Tomlinson, oh, we stopped the run a little bit better, but I'm of the belief. I would rather allow four or five yards on the ground on a consistent basis over 15 yard passing plays on a consistent basis. So I've had, I actually had a Twitter battle about uh, about that against Carl Banks one time, which is lunacy. It's, it's it's lunacy. But so I get your point. I think that's why Leonard Williams gets a lot of hate because Dalvin Tomlinson was a homegrown guy. Everybody loves their homegrown guys, especially the draft picks that hit. But. I think prioritizing a Dory over Dalvin was the that was probably the most best correct move of the offseason, except signing Danny Shelton to replace Dalvin Thompson was the thing that hurt
0: the most. Yeah. And the thing about a Dory Jackson is and I'm just going to steal a, a catchphrase I've heard for for years. If they could catch the ball, they'd be playing offense. Yeah, exactly. Yeah. And I'm a fan of the Adori Jackson signing. I think you were either on the podcast when that broke. I think I forget if it was Kyle Rudolph or Adory Jackson. No, it was Rudolph, because we had that debate about why are they doing this? He has to get the surgery. But I think my biggest fear in yours was injuries with Dory Jackson. And he's been healthy. Yeah. So th- I just think there was a way to get all three of them. And especially I'm just disappointed with the Kyle Rudolph signing. He's not the injury part, you know. Even though I don't know what his injury really was, I just um, remember him
1: something with, something with his foot, and he needs surgery. You know, Kyle, he need
0: he needed surgery.
1: Yeah, after Kenny Galladay. The, oh, oh, I'm sorry. After I'm talking, talking about, about Kyle God. Rudolph. No, no, no I'm Kenny talking about Kenny Galladay. Kenny Galladay had a hip
0: injury. Yeah, that was that was hip. Okay, because that. I just remember them saying he left it. Remember he left the Dallas game with an injury. I like hu and I was like, okay. And then he really should have been placed on IR, in my opinion. And
1: yeah, Bark Barkley should have been placed on IR too. Yeah. That's huge. What? That was huge. Them not doing that.
0: What, like, is that two wasted roster spots? Yeah, basically. Yeah. Uh, anyway, so it, it just goes back to the Galladay signing and maybe it'll change with a new offensive coordinator, but the way he's being used, not correctly. You should have just focused on the defense at that point. Yeah. If, if you knew what you were going to do, why sign Kyle Rudolph and why sign Galladay? Cause you're just wasting their potential. Not, not Kyle Rudolph. He's just whatever. You're wasting Gallaudet's potential, and eventually this guy's going to get frustrated, and he's just going to end up getting released. We've seen this story a 100 times. Absolutely, you're right. Especially, Genovese Jenkins comes to mind. Remember, in 2019, for my audience, he was complaining, and they just ended up releasing him, which wasn't a bad move, looking back.
1: Should have traded, I mean, that's a different discussion. They should have traded him, because, you know, he he said he said a bad word. You can't say it. But I mean, the fact what what, it was the in a lost season. If you if you want to, they released him for saying a bad word, right? Yep. And they could have benched him for the rest of the season, and then they just could have traded him because the team immediately picked them up. (laughs) Immediately, the Saints immediately picked them up. So you know, so much, uh, so much for ethics there. But you know, they'll, they'll keep they'll keep Josh Brown on their roster for how many weeks? So it's 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 bizarre.
0: Yeah, and then DeAndre Baker. I mean, not. I think he stinks anyway. No. Oh yeah. Yes. Yeah, but that's still a first round pick. I, was he? A, yeah, he was a first round pick, right? He, and
1: the Giants traded up to get him. Yes.
0: <laughs> <laughs> I just you gotta laugh. You gotta laugh sometimes, like with some of these Dave Gellman moves. As much as I love Eli, I think Eli would have taken a little bit of a pay cut what was it like 19 million to just start two games
1: yeah that was that was bizarre that yeah was bizarre. but
0: all right final predictions here with the giants and then we'll talk about some stuff um what do you think my audience wants to know how do we think this is going to play out how many games are the giants going to win down the stretch
1: um what do we say we have uh, eight games left
0: I think we can go five and three and that could get us in the playoffs because it's the seventh spot is just a toss up. I
1: think we could go five and three. All right. No. So here, here's my final uh Now I'm thinking of this. I think we go three and five really five and three at best three and five is what I think we're going to do. So I think we're going to finish what six and uh man, 11, Six and 11. That's what I
0: think we're finishing as. I, I can see that. I don't think here are the games I think we're going to lose, and you can agree with me. As much as I want to beat Brady, I think the game's going to be close because Tom Brady, for some reason, I don't know what, if the NFL God says this is the one team that you're going to struggle against to win. It's going to be like a three-point game. We'll beat Philly on Michael Strahan night because that's at home. We'll lose in Philadelphia and we'll lose in San Diego because not San Diego, LA, they're the LA Chargers. I think those are the games we lose down the stretch.
1: Yeah, I think we could lose to Tampa. I think we are going to lose to Tampa. I think we're going to lose against Los Angeles. I think we're going to lose in Philly and then I think we're going to lose to Dallas. And then maybe, and then one more game is going to have to get thrown in there.
0: I think that the Giants, the only reason why they could beat Dallas is because if everything's wrapped up, I don't see why they would start Dak Prescott and Elliott.
1: Yeah, no, I don't think everything's going to be wrapped up because the Cardinals have one loss. The Packers have uh, one loss or two losses at this point. One or two losses they have. The Rams just lost last night. So there's going to be a tight race, especially because this year there's only one team that gets the bye. Every single playoff seed is going to matter because there's more teams in the playoffs now and you know just how this is working so I, I think the top of there's going to be a race for the top of the NFC where they're not going to send anybody now
0: mm-hmm. Yeah and it's just another sad season in giant land I think yeah. we can all agree Hey but Especially they have a chance like one. I said
1: they have a chance to prove us wrong they they certainly
0: they certainly do and I'm rooting for it Oh me too well, we're not fans the whole giant community that produces content are not fans that want the team to do bad. I just think there are just some people on Twitter that just want to be right. And I think you would agree with me on that. Sometimes. Yes, certainly. Yeah. It's not all the time, but you, you know what I mean? Yeah. All right. Let, let Let's get into it. The car story. I want everyone that listens to this podcast to on Sunday when this gets released, because there's no rush, there's no Met baseball to have instant reaction to, and there's no giant football. So, this week, the car story. I was eating this morning and I almost had a choking fit. I was at my college. Obviously, I commute. I went into the cafeteria and I was eating. And then Bobby says, "Oh yeah, I was in a car, and the car was just flipped over." Yeah. I want you to. to your reaction was the best. Like, were were you okay? Were you nervous? Just just go through the story from your perspective.
1: All right. Yes. Yeah, so Bobby Skinner and his brother. His brother gets like these rally cars and either racism. And then sometimes there's like a thing where they just crash them. I guess there's, you know, people, people will go and they will watch events where people drive cars at each other and they just wreck, um, wreck fests, Basically. If you play, if you play that game, that's what it basically is. So they were just driving around. They dro- were driving in the grass on somebody's, I don't think their home property, but it was like, somebody's like, where, like where they work. It was, they were driving on grass. And his brother's going, you know, maybe 20, 30, you know, 25 miles an hour. And he just puts the, that e-brake on and er, flips. Small ass car, big ass people in the car. Bobby's, Bobby's six foot seven. You know, so huge ass dude in the car flips. My main thing is, is Bobby landed on the ground. So the car landed on the passenger side door on the ground. I mean, everybody's fine. They, they were all fine. Yeah. But I don't know how he got out. I'm still picturing that I don't even know how I would get out in that situation. Like uh, to climb, you would have to climb up and then have somebody pull you out. I, I wouldn't know what to do. Uh, I, I would, I, I said, I would call 911 and they would have to take the roof off the car. Cause, and then I would just, you know, walk out that way. I do not know how he got it. And he is a, it is a small car. and He's a big human being. I do not know how he got out of that. That is my main thing. So, and then the best, the best part is, is that he gets out of the car. They flip it back in place. And then he just books it. He just books it and he takes off. He's like, <laughs> I don't want the cops to come. Anymore. He just books it. He books it for like a block and then, and then he walks home. So it's like his, like he when you think of Florida man life, it, that is the life that Bobby Skinner lives. And, you know, he, he he he. I would rather not have it any other way for him and he would rather not have it any other way I'm um, over here. Like, you know, we, we we live up here. And he's like, that's like so, it's like crazy. We would never think to do that in a million years. And you know, you, you flipped a car? Are you okay? What ha- what happened? Did you call the insurance? Co-? No, like that's not, that's literally not. Like, not Florida. It was a spectacle. It was a spectacle for the neighborhood to come out and see that the car flipped. I mean, that, that's, that it was a normal, it was a normal Saturday afternoon for, for them. So it's
0: awesome. I saw the video on Twitter and I was like, because Bobby posts things sometimes where, you know, from like movies and stuff. And I'm like, Oh, so like I don't get the joke. And then I read the caption. Here's video of my car flipping over. It was, not, it was and I, not a movie. Was not yeah, a I was movie. like, what? And then I, I, I listened to even closer. And I was like, that's Bobby's voice. Like, I, I'm happy. He's all right. Cause my first thought, my first thought was, is he okay? Cause I had him on the podcast in the past. You can see from the video that he's a, big guy yeah like and i i was like all right well he's fine and then your reaction's like i I don't know if my if my card flip over my neck would be bad and my neck would be bad too it's like
1: well no he was like would you rather would you rather so would you rather run into a tree versus so like maybe run into another car or would you rather just stumble a little bit and i'm like i don't know i've taken some stumbles in my day where I've uh I have a very sensitive neck. I have a very sensitive neck, and I get sore necks very easily. So I I, I don't I don't know, but um that's that's a fair at the and Bobby Skinner's brain. That's a fair question. Would you rather get in a car accident by running into a car or flipping a car? He was like, I would rather flip in a car, and I'm like, I would rather not get into a car accident at all. That's my <laughs>
0: that's my alternative. I think that's everyone in the at least on the northern side because we're both in the north. Yeah. I think that's just everyone's thought. And then Florida's you go down there and it's like a completely different world. Yeah, I, I there,
1: there is a part of me that I, I would love for him to, to move up one day to, to Jersey. So, you know, one day when, when we have a, a million different shows, when we have talking giants, talking football, when we do like some simple man radio stuff, when we have a radio show and a whole bunch of stuff, as we go forward in our, you know, our, our content lives together, I would, I would like him to move up here so we can do everything in person. But I, part of me just thinks I'm, you're never going to remove Florida from Bobby. That's not something that's ever, that's ever going to happen. And certainly like you're not, you're not taking my giants away from me on Sunday. I need to be at MetLife. And you know, so that's uh that's, I have, I have that hope for Bobby one day, but I don't think I can ever take Florida out of him.
0: Yeah. And he's going to be at the next two games. So that should prove yeah. that when I do listen to the pod, their podcast, I don't just say that he's going <laughs> to, who's going to do the game the following Sunday when you're both at the games. That, that'll be I, weird.
1: I guess that'll – maybe that'll be a Danny I, – I hope Danny King is able to attend the Eagle game. That that may be the game where – one game a year where we just may not have a lot of social media clips, which I think we're the only – we're really the only um, – we're the only people on social media that really provide it on a consistent basis week in and week out with the game day videos and stuff like that away games i do it with bobby and then bobby does it for every game so yeah that eagle game it's you're just gonna have to watch it on tv oh boy no clips on
0: social media oh boy i I, of course i watch every game like you do um let's see you were on the fan yes yes how is that
1: so it was really it was cool. Like Bobby and I, we were on the fan with uh, Sean Moraz uh, from. He's also he also does CBS Sports. Uh, he does a, a radio show in the morning with CBS Sports, and then he does uh, giant stuff for WFAN. So he does like some of the pregame shows before the main pregame show comes on with, uh, you know, Lance Meadows and Schmelk and uh, Papa Bob Pop and everybody like that, Jeff Eagles. So uh, Sean Moraz had us on, and I was in. The parking lot. I was in parking lot K12 at MetLife Stadium. Um, I was in my car. Um, I started off by pacing outside, and then I went in my car because um, I wanted my my best friend. I'm like, hey, take a picture of me talking on the phone on the fan while I'm walking like around the stadium. Um, so anyway, I wanted that photo op. It, it was it was cool. So we were on the fan because Snacks and I we went to the Patriots joint practices and that was open to the public and, but it was in Massachusetts. So it wasn't like anybody and everybody just went. So we got that trip sponsored. So they wanted our perspective and Sean wanted our perspective from it along with some of the giants topics. So, you know, it was just like, you know, a regular old uh, interview, a regular old show where, you know, we, we talk giants and it was just cool. It was cool that Art Stapleton told us afterwards that they actually had WFAN playing throughout MetLife stadium that day. So as people were entering the game, they heard Bobby Skinner and myself on the fan throughout MetLife stadium. So that's probably the coolest thing that, you know, yeah, we were on the fan we were on there. We got like a 20 minute spot. Um, But we were playing throughout MetLife
0: too, right before a Giants game. So that was really cool. Yeah. I I don't, not to take anything away from Bobby, because he's down in Florida. I don't think he realized how significant that is for someone like you and me in a sense, because the fans big, that's like, yeah, I think it's the biggest radio station locally.
1: Yeah, and so it's one it's one of it the out. biggest in the world. I mean, frankly, it's yeah, one man. of the biggest sports radio stations in the world. Absolutely.
0: Yeah, and I I've been on the fan as a caller like once and that whole crackle thing that they do. And I I got a little nervous. Did, did you get nervous when that did they do the crackle thing for for your phone line? What
1: is the yeah. what is the crackle thing? What is that?
0: It goes right before that goes on, it goes <laughs>
1: Oh, no. So, I I, I, so no. what So I so this is actually funny. So when the producer um, whose name was Rosenberg, no relation to Peter Rosenberg, um, the producer's name was Rosenberg. He picked up. I, I called and rung a little bit. And then he picked up and said, is this Justin? And I said, yes. And then he's like, all right. And then I was listening to the radio feed as it was coming through. So it wasn't just dead air. I was listening to. The advertisements, and I was listening to the traffic report before Sean came on the air, and then I was able to hear Sean. So I guess the feed was just going straight through. So that's what it's like, uh you know, being on the other side if you're about to be a guest on a radio station. That's that's uh that's what it's like. So I actually heard the live feed as actually act, you know as
0: it was all happening before I actually fully spoke. That that's awesome. Like I'm a little jealous. Of course, I'd like to go on for baseball, but. You know, I, I could handle my way with football. I, I think I know a fair amount. Benny, you'll get there. You'll get uh, there, yeah. Benny. That that's the goal. Hopefully as a interviewing as a coach, because I, I don't want to do a spot like that every day. But
1: yeah.
0: Oh well, um, how are the Giants games being back? I guess I have like one more question for you, but my fans want to know how are the Giants games being back? Because you were missing them. And I think yeah. everyone that goes.
1: Yeah, I I really was. And this year has been a lot more different than years past um, because knowing people from social media, knowing people from Twitter and running into people that's like, hey, I watch you on YouTube. Hey, I listen to you on the podcast, follow on Instagram, follow on Twitter, whatever. That has been really great where I'm like, hey, I'm pretty much in parking lot K or I'm in L16 with snacks. And the people that have come up and just the conversations that we're able to have and talking to people like. I've known him for ten years, twenty years, but we just met for the first time. Right? Um, it's it's awesome. So that's really been the main difference this year, where you know the community that we established with talking giants and the community that we establish online. Where you know sometimes I don't even know what people look like. I don't even know their faces. And the community that we've all established that way that has been the coolest thing. You know, along with being back, seeing the giants, no matter what the win result is. A lot of the time, the tailgate is the most fun part about the game. Um, I would say this year the Tailgates have been the most fun, Um, so that's been the main thing of being back. Is you know people that want to come up and people that say hi, or as I'm walking into the stadium and I'll run into people that that's been really really cool and it's a cool affirmation of the community that we have here. So,
0: yeah, you guys have a great community growing, and I'm I'm happy to be a part of it. I'm as as well. And my last question is, what is one spot at MetLife Stadium? Because I'm thinking about going to the Eagle game the giant eagle game. Yeah. Not in Philly. If you go to Philadelphia maybe I would go. But I'm not going alone. What's the one place in MetLife I have to attend if I do go to the giant eagle
1: game? So what do you like a like a vendor? Like food.
0: Oh, food. Like food. Well.
1: I mean, here here's a little here's a little tidbit. Two things. One, planning on possibly getting the tailgate catered. For the giant eagle game because bobby will be up and i'm trying on my end and people at john boy media i'm trying to turn that into a whole event so stay tuned for that and i have a fun fact for you Mm -hmm. i have never i have been attending giants games since 2007 i have never ordered food from inside the stadium and i've probably attended almost 100 Giants games really yep i have never ordered food inside the stadium
0: so now, I'm sorry, I, I ruined your question. No, it's fine, but, but it's I can't like, give you, you an answer. You could ask John Boyd. If you go to a baseball game, I'm not saying every time, but most of the time you have to get food. You, you know what? You know what's a really good video idea?
1: And I would see if I can get this compensated since I'd be technically be working.
0: Mm-hmm.
1: Trying the food
0: at MetLife Stadium and finding out which spot is the best. People would love that. They, they would because... For someone like me, my only MetLife game was my uncle got me tickets to Joe Namath night yeah. against the Dolphins. And that was when Geno Smith was the quarterback, not with the Giants, with the Jets. I I, I can't believe I even have to say that, but I, I have to. But but he's with the Seahawks, but he's sticking up the joint. But anyway, um, and, you know, MetLife Stadium wasn't very nice from the inside. I, no. It just felt like a stadium doesn't look nice from the
1: outside. It it looks nice from the outside at night when they light it up blue, but it doesn't, besides that, it's just, it looks like an air conditioner. It looks like a prison toilet. Um, (laughs) and for me, it just has no character. I mean, that's really the main thing is because they have to, they had to make it neutral. And of course, you know, I guess gray is the best neutral color. They had to make a neutral. They couldn't make it really specific, specifically tailored to one team. Um, and it just has no character, man. Where that old stadium, it had character, um, you know, the wind. You know, I, I'm actually glad it's not so windy at the new stadium. But, you know, it added the wind. It had the, you know, the, the catwalk of the, the ramps and the escalators and the red seats. You know, it, it just, it, it felt like a different stadium. It, it just, it genuinely felt like giant stadium where MetLife does not feel, it, it, it doesn't, it, feel, it feels like home simply because I've been going there for so long and they've been playing there. I think this is their eleventh year. I think last year was their tenth year at MetLife. Um, unfortunately, you know, couldn't celebrate it because of COVID. But just still has no character, has no life. Guarantee if if they wouldn't even they wouldn't have even done anything if it was the tenth year of MetLife, they probably just wouldn't have been like, yeah, we're here, I guess.
0: <laughs> You're not wrong. That stadium yeah. sucks. That's why I I refuse to go. Yeah. And maybe if the product is better. Yeah, but that, not, that is it, the
1: thing where it also. Because the Giants, the Giants Giants really screwed fans over because they're bad, but also because of the PSLs, where basically when you when you want to make the decision, I want to become a Giants regular season ticket holder, you have to pay a couple thousand bucks, depending on where you sit, for the rights to own the seats. And then you have to pay for the tickets every year. That's so it's like it's fun. like it's like putting a a down, it's like putting a, a down payment on a car and still paying off the car every single month. It's the same, it's the same idea. And that's not how giants tickets should work. Like you should just pay for the tickets every year and not have to, and it's not like owning a car. My giants tickets are not like owning a car or owning a house where I have to put a down payment on them. Um, I should just have, I should just pay them every year. No, but, and, and then what happens is, is that why tick that's why tickets are so expensive when the team is two and 10, when the team is three and nine, that's why tickets are so expensive is because everybody that pays these PSLs,
0: they get not, the money back.
1: it's not fiscally responsible for them to have $40 tickets. You know, they, they got to make the money. You're right. They got to make the money back. So, and that's why Raider, like Raider fans, Cowboy fans, Eagle fans, they're all willing to pay those prices because they want to see their favorite team play and they never get to see their favorite team play. And that's why you have more visiting jerseys sometimes in the stands than home jerseys. So that's how that happens.
0: Yeah, and I blame John Mara for that. Yeah. I, I really do. They don't make enough money. Yeah, they, they don't. <laughs> $200 jersey, they don't, they don't make enough money. No. Oh, god, gosh. Uh, before we close here, this just popped in my head. This all can, this whole podcast we've had can stem back to one person, and I hate to say it because, like I've said on multiple podcasts, the Mara family has treated me very well by helping. By giving me things. This all hand goes back to John Mara. This all does.
1: Yeah, yeah. So how, like how how so are you thinking? Because I mean, I, there's 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 I mean, culture of the stadium, there's the roster, there's maybe GM I, I,
0: stuff. I don't want to blame the stadium because they're, they're the Jets thing, because I don't really I think that's 50-50, like you said. I just mean our team construction,
1: yeah what what, frankly what frankly happened in post jerry reese right or not not even post jerry reese post tom coughlin Mm
0: -hmm.
1: not letting jerry reese go after tom coughlin and then bringing in mac you know promoting mcadoo um you know not bringing in. If if you saw that something wasn't working and if you saw that the roster needed help after 2015 not firing reese and then basically you know starting they fired everybody after 2017 right but they still stayed within the building and they still stayed with what they were comfortable with. So that those are decisions that are made by John Merritt's like, well, how much do I want to broaden? Or at the end of the day, he has a lot of say in those decisions, right? How much do I want to broaden my horizons in terms of this GM search is Ernie, of course, he really the best person to bring in after his, his protege, failed and two head coaches failed since then, you know, not going outside the building and not getting a fresh look at the organization. If you thought that you needed really a, a, a if you thought that you needed a fresh look, why not get that? Or simply just misevaluating. That, that's what the Giants have done for years, is misevaluating the roster, thinking that they could win now in 2018 while also rebuilding. Like that's not the approach. And whoever is in the building telling John Mara this, Is wrong like they're 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 wrong you know Mm -hmm. and that's the bottom line so John Merritt he his life has been football um he's not really a football guy but he has people in the building that have been with him for a very very long time who clearly over the last decade or you know since 2011 you know that have strayed him wrong and that is a problem
0: yeah and the Merritt family is a very seem very nice Yeah. I I believe that. And I also, and I also genuinely believe he wants to win that they want to win. And and that's why
1: I don't need, I don't need Bob Papa and Carl Banks. They have a podcast and it's, it's, it's not bad. Um, it's the believe, believe in giants stuff. I don't need Bob Papa and Carl Banks to tell me how much the mayor want to win. I don't need that. That's not what fans are. That's not what fans are critical about. Like they, they, they went on a big 20 minute, 15 minute Bob Papa, especially did when a big 15 minute rant about saying, Oh, John Mara wants to win. He's not in the media. He's not in the, he's not in the, uh, in the suite where the owners usually are. He's in the press box. He's in a box where your owners usually don't sit in. He wants to win. He's very passionate. Carl Banks said, I saw John Mara at halftime, one of these games. And he said, this game is effing winnable. He cares. It's like, no, we don't need – we know he cares. He kicks garbage cans and he throws chairs. We he know he cares. He spends too. He spends – he's willing to spend money on the team. That's not what we're saying. It's about the process. He doesn't value the right process. Him almost wanting to win is to a fault. Him wanting to win too much is to a fault because the Giants aren't willing to do the things that's necessary to get to a roster that can win. He wants to take shortcuts, and that has been the problem with John Merrick. That's been the problem. Not that he doesn't want to win. So that's where the, you know, the big heads of the Giants organization, that's where they get the fans' criticism wrong. We're not saying you don't want to win. It's about the process of how
0: you get there. And here's my closing thought on this, and then I'll let you close. Um, people compare John Mara now to Jeff Wopon. Jeff Wopon is the former New York Mets owner. The difference between them is Jeff Wolpon and Fred Wolpon did not care about the Mets. They milked that thing for everything it was worth. They would sign washed up has-beens that were like 38 and couldn't even pitch, couldn't even hit. John Mayer doesn't do that. He lets the general manager do whatever he wants, and they make the wrong decisions. Mayer continues to funnel money into the organization. He continues to try to win. The process just isn't right, but I, I heard that the other day, funny enough, on the fan that, well, John Mayer is the new Fred and Jeff Lopon, and that's just not true. Yeah,
1: and at the end of the day, I don't know how much say John Mayer has until John Mayer comes out and says, you know, I I, I made Dave Gettleman pick Saquon Barkley in 2018. I made, I really forced Jason Garrett on Joe Judge. We have these theories, right? But until he, yep. actually, until he actually comes out and says it and takes accountability for it, I'm going to have to put it on the GM and I'm going to have to put it on the coach. And, you know, whether, whether that makes him a little bit cowardly or, or, or what, but I, I, as a fan, I could think these things and think that he has more say than maybe what he leads on. But unless there is something definitive that tells me that John Maris said to do this and to do that, then I can't believe it. And I have to put the onus on those people who are supposed to make those decisions.
0: Yeah. And one last thing, one on a positive note, OBJ getting released, coming back to the Giants?
1: No. no. I, would, I would say no. I would say no. He, he wants to – Benny. He wants to win. He wants to go to a contender after getting cut from a team because they literally asked him to not come back, and then all he's done the last couple of years is not play because he's not healthy, and then he stunk this year. He has the audacity to say, I want to go to a – if you sign me and you're not a competitor, we're going to have a problem. Oh, dude, a, dude at this point, at this point, if somebody's willing to write you a check, you should really freaking take it. Like, you know? You, you know what I mean? What what has Odell Beckham Jr. done to deserve to earn the right to dictate what he what he should do and what he wants to do and where he should go and what team wants to sign his checks? What has he done? He has earned nothing. He has earned nothing.
0: Yeah, Francesco said it best a few years ago look at Odell Beckman jr's record with the giants. And now you could say that about the uh, Browns and the Browns are a playoff contending team. That was the, he just wasn't happy about his receptions and he, his father releasing that video. If I was a Browns fan would really piss me off. How yep. many times I was open.
1: Yeah, great. I'm glad, glad you're open, but there's players every week in the NFL that are open. Um, you know, the, what, what I look at is I, I like to look at EPA, you know, that's mm-hmm. uh, expected points added. The EPA, when Odell's off the field, whether it's in, it's in, it's in games that he's healthy or hurt and he's just not on the field, right? Plays where Odell's off the field and plays where Odell's on the field, the EPA is substantially more when Odell's off the field than on the field. I don't care about wins losses. I, I care about how my team and how my offense is moving the ball. When a player's on the field, that's supposed to be good and he's supposed to be game changing and he's off. And the Browns throughout all these years have been better when he's off the field compared to on. So um, I don't care how often you're open, bud, you know, the team's just better without you. And Stefanski realized that. And he realized that. And he didn't even trade him. Didn't even bet. They didn't even bench him and then traded him in the off season. They didn't even trade him during the trade deadline. They literally asked him not to. He showed up for practice, ready to come back and practice. And they said, no, go home. Oh God, that's what happened there
0: yeah and i think that sells everything i appreciate you coming on justin justin please say where everyone can find you bobby you got the bleeding blue podcast you got talking giants you got everything so i'll let you do it because i i'll probably miss something and i'll feel awful no it's it's
1: it's fine man Um, you know at this point you know feel like you you know where to get us you know talking giants youtube podcast apps at Justin Panic on Twitter, at Justin Panic on Instagram. Bleeding Blue is a show that we do over the offseason. It's a Giants history show, so that's going to get started back up. Um, just, uh, January 31st is the target date, which is a Monday, so that'll be on every every single Monday once a week, especially if you like the history of the franchise and reliving the good times. We don't really talk about anything bad. On bleeding blue. Um, You know, that's the point of the show is if the giants are bad, well, we have a pretty rich history of this franchise and we have a lot of fun with it. So yeah. uh, Benny, thank you so much for having me on. I'm looking forward to coming on again when the giants make the playoffs and we're saying how wrong we were about everything.
0: Yeah. Me me too. And also go follow Justin on Instagram, especially because Bobby overtook him and uh, we want Justin to be in the lead. That is true. Thank you so much, Justin, for coming on. And hopefully, I know Justin will be back on at some point. Hopefully, it's in January. Talk about a little Giants playoffs.
1: No, February.
0: Just, February, February. After, we, after we win the Super Bowl. Oh, that, that's going a little too Hopefully, <laughs> right? <laughs> we can dare to dream. We yeah. can dare to dream. Yeah. All right. This has been an edition of the Mets News Podcast. Stay safe, subscribe, and We have two victory Mondays in a row. Look at the bright side. Justin is clapping. We we love it. All right. Stay safe. Have a good one, guys.